0: So uh, the second passage, and and I'm kind of focusing on both the Baptist and and, uh, Isaiah, but more on Isaiah 40. So uh, I invite you to listen again, for this is God's word. Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 11. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sin. Voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up and every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed in the wilderness. And all humanity together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And a voice says, the voice of God says, cry out, and I, Isaiah says, what shall I cry? And God says, the voice says, all humanity is like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are like grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, But the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations that are dwelling within our hearts, may these be pleasing to you and cause us to grow. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let me give you the purpose of the sermon before I even start. That way you can evaluate whether you're willing to listen or you just want to be silent in your own head, which is a good thing also. All right, the purpose of my talk today is I am going to try to persuade all of you that you really are miserable, wretched sinners. Period. Period. And, uh, and, and really, that is the theme for Advent, and uh, it's not a very popular theme. Uh, we don't really want to go there, you don't really want to listen to that, because to modern ears, that's the last thing we want to hear. It's really the entire theme of everything John the Baptist said, repent, ye sinners, the kingdom of God is at hand. It is uh, the summary of everything that Jesus said when they summarize, the Gospel writers summarized Jesus' uh, talks, messages, it was summarized by saying, this is what the Lord said, repent, ye sinners, the kingdom of God is at hand, the same as John the Baptist. I want to suggest it's the message of all of the scripture, but that's not the message for modern ears. We want to hear that real, really all of us are just well above average, all of us. Um, I know that's the phrase that Garrison Keillor Phrased, you know coined that all the people were above average statistically That's a very difficult thing to think about if everybody's above average then what's the meaning of average? Uh, But we're not, you know, we're all of us excelling. We're all of us just filled with all wonderful kinds of things I saw in the paper don't mean to make fun, but I am (laughs) Uh, And the messenger last week they had the um, Honor roll for either the high school or the junior high. I think it took up 15 pages um, you know, if everybody's on the honor roll, I mean, how? What's the point of it? You know, I mean, everybody's just special. Everybody's full. Of, they're all wonderful. And so, what is the meaning of being a sinner? And how can we ever hear that kind of message? The watch phrase for the prophets of old was repent, ye sinners, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The watch phrase for everybody today is. It is what it is, you know, whatever. And there's quite a disjoint between repent and it is what it is. And that's what I want to talk about, sinners. So here we go. We are in captivity. That's the starting point for Isaiah. The children of Israel were in captivity. Now, let's think of that literally. The children of Israel uh, were in Jerusalem, obviously, in Israel. The Babylonians from the north came in, you've heard the story before, they utterly crushed Jerusalem. They burned the temple, they burned the city, they burned everything about it. They were a ruthless people. They took the people of Jerusalem, of Israel, they took them out, or at least all the leading citizens, they took them out of Jerusalem, and they placed them up in the north into captivity. And so the people that Isaiah is speaking to are literally in captivity. They are captives in the north. north. And so when Isaiah says, comfort, comfort my people, what he's saying is your time of captivity is almost over. It's almost time to go back into the wilderness and to go back home. Now, I wanna suggest here we see a motif that repeats itself over and over again in scripture. In fact, this is a motif that virtually any passage in scripture you can locate in one of these uh, three kind of regions. We are in captivity. That's where we are, are. That's where we live. We are in captivity. From captivity, we prepare to go into the wilderness. You can see that with the uh, uh, Egyptian captivity. Then they went into the Sinai, and the Babylonian captivity. Then they went into the wilderness, which is literally the wilderness, the highway of our Lord is that path that leads from the north captivity into the highway back down to jerusalem so you go from captivity that's where we live into the wilderness which is the place where you meet god that's the place where we become more intimate with god and then you have the yearning to go home but when you get home it doesn't feel like home we're really captive we're still captive unless we're at home with the lord which is in heaven but as saint paul said As long as we're in the body, we're away from the Lord. So you have this motif of captivity uh, into the wilderness where you find intimacy with God and the yearning to come home or to go home. Now, the children of Israel are in captivity. To apply that is very easy. All of us have some something that we are captive in, some physical problem that that captivates us, that holds us, some emotional problems, some spiritual problems, some psychological problems, some economic problem, you apply it. <laughs> but everybody is captive to something. And if you put it in the broadest sense, it's called sin. And you can't avoid that. We are captive to sin, which is more than just a bad decision, it's a power, it's a something that holds us down that's unavoidable. We are captive We yearn to go home, but before we go home, you need to enter the wilderness. Now, let's think about this captivity just a little bit further. I want to suggest there is a multitude of ways that you can deal with this reality of being captive, like the children of Israel are captive in the north. Let's think about some of the ways we can deal with this captivity. One, try to locate yourself. You can deny the captivity altogether. You just, everything's happy. I'm happy all the time. You know my attitude toward people who are happy all the time. (sighs) They're just annoying, I think. (laughs) Um, But the reality is, if you're singing a happy song in captivity, you're still in captivity. You're just singing a happy song. So you deny it. You know, it is what it is. The most annoying phrase, I think, in modern culture, because that it is not a good place to be. So we can just deny it altogether, you know, I'm just happy all the time, I'm not in captivity. Or, option number two, how do you deal with captivity, which is called sin? You can simply become miserable. I call that the Eeyore syndrome. That is, everything I do is always wrong. Really wonderful people to hang around, aren't they? (laughs) By the way, this is a fun one. Uh, Maybe some of you have experienced it, I've experienced this. What churches can do is they can put a halo on Eeyore and call them Saint Eeyore. And this is how that goes. Well, the church will say, well, <clears throat> we can try something new, but it's gonna fail, because everything we do always fails. But I know it's God's will, and after all, it's, it's more important to be faithful than successful, and we're gonna fail. All right, then. (laughs) Go at (laughs) it. So, you can deny your captivity, or you can be miserable. Bad option. Or, now let me get serious for a minute. You can be absolutely absorbed into the captivity that you were in. Now, this was a real problem for the children of Israel, because this is what happened. As I said, the Babylonians came down, a ruthless people, destroyed Jerusalem, put the people up in captivity. Their first experience of captivity was horror. It was terrible. They remembered quite sharply all the destruction of their home, of Jerusalem, of their temple, everything. They're in captivity. The whole venue, everything about captivity is awful. They hated it. But Babylon didn't care, which could be a very good thing. Because what Babylon said is, we don't care what you do, you do what you want. No insurrection, no rebellion, you can do what you want. And so what happened was, the children of Israel became very, very, very successful up in Babylon. I mentioned this last week. They were far more prosperous in captivity than they were ever in, in Jerusalem. And all the way down the line, all the things of prosperity, their arts, their culture, their scholarship, everything, including negative things, became far richer up in uh, Babylon than whatever it was in Jerusalem and so what the children of Israel often did was they just gave up on the faith altogether and they become absolutely absorbed in the culture in which they were living do I have to go further with that one in terms of application you just forget the faith altogether and become absorbed in the culture because hey it is what it is and we're having fun as long as you're having fun like that so that's an option that was very tempting for the children of God's people. So you can deny, you can become miserable, you become absorbed, or this is the right option. You can adapt to where you are. Now this is how that's done, and I'm going to speak about this a lot more next week, and this is kind of advertisement in the Sunday school class. I'll really play this one out. What does it mean to adapt in the culture you are? First of all, you maintain the things that are absolutely essential to your identity as the children of God. You maintain the things that are absolutely essential. Now, that's what I'll talk about a lot next week in Sunday school class. But what are the things that are absolutely essential? We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the power of the Lord. Absolutely essential. We're not going to wave on that. And there are certain practices that go around that that are absolutely essential. For example, especially in this time of Advent, which uh, it's a peculiar thing, we have different morals than the culture does. And we're not going to bend on that. We keep time differently than the culture does. I'll really talk about that next week. This is a lot of advertising, isn't it? But let me give an example. What do you do on Sabbath? We do something different from everybody else. We keep time differently. We use a different language than the people in the culture. For example, we talk about revelation. How do we know about God? It's not that we make up things. It's that we read the scripture and we know about God from what God himself says about himself in the scripture. We have revelation. We have salvation. We have redemption. We have atonement. We have an all different language. And so we maintain our identity, the things that are not uh, adaptable. We're going to hold on to that. But there are things we can adapt to. So the things in the culture that we just kind of blend in because they're not violating our identity, and we continue to yearn for the coming kingdom of our Lord. So the way we deal with this captivity is we maintain our faith and the things of the faith, we adapt to the things that are adaptable, but we continue to remember that this is not home. And when we really come to understand that this is not home, then we repent. We repent. In other words, we look away from this captivity that we're in. We follow our Lord Jesus Christ. As John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. You follow him. Don't follow me. Follow him. So we turn away from our captivity toward the Lord Jesus Christ and follow him into the wilderness. Now, what does it mean to be in the wilderness? Again, I'll speak about this more next Sunday in sermon and also at the class. But what does it mean in terms of living in the wilderness? And by the way, Advent and Lent are the two seasons that we really focus in on this. Let me suggest, there's a lot of things. Fill it in next week. But two things are absolutely essential. First of all, the time, remember we keep time differently, the time for repentance is, in the kingdom of God, there's only one time. It's always the same time in the kingdom of God. God is always living on one time. And that time is now. It's the only time there is. So fill that out. Um, If if you're getting a little antsy because the sermon's getting really too long and the bills are playing this afternoon, all that stuff, and, you know, what time is it? Then you you go like this. (gasps) It's now! (laughs) Because that's the only time there ever is. Now. Now is the time of repentance. Turning away from your captivity, whatever it is, and turning toward Christ Jesus into the wilderness. The wilderness means a lot of things. Remember, literally, it's the path from captivity, Babylon, back to Jerusalem. It's the place where John the Baptist lives. But at least one aspect of what that wilderness is, is, especially in the season of Advent, silence. Now, let me talk about this for a minute, and I'll be done. The experience of silence is the exact opposite of the experience of captivity. The experience of captivity is this. As soon as you realize you're captive, like the children of Israel in Babylon, there's a horror, a terror. This is dreadful. But pretty soon, you accommodate, it's not that bad, you know, it's kind of fun up here. The experience of silence, exact opposite. You go home from work, you sit down, it's like, oh, it's finally quiet, right? But what happens when you're in silence for too long? Have you done that? See, this is the problem with Advent. This is where I I get my grump going. Sorry, Jane. (laughs) We do the exact opposite. What do we do in Advent? We fill it with noise and confusion and clutter and busyness, which is exact opposite of what the season is supposed to be silence when you're in it for a while becomes oppressive it becomes difficult try it and when you're in that silence for a while what happens is all that junk starts coming up and you realize the oppressiveness you realize how hard it is you realize all that stuff that's coming in you realize your own sinfulness your own brokenness, your own vulnerability. And when you're in the wilderness of that silence and you realize how broken and vulnerable you are, it's there that you realize your absolute need for God. And where is God? Emmanuel. God is here. God with us. And so this is the assignment, my challenge I'd like to give to you this season of Advent. Find the time, remember there's a different time, to be silent, to be still, to be in solitude, by the way, and focus solely on the Lord. Singularity, that's what we'll talk about next week. And in that silence, come to realize your own sinfulness, when you turn to God with that sinfulness, it's not like God is finally rewarding you because you admitted you're a sinner. When you're silence and solitude, it all comes up. And you realize the wound, the crack, the brokenness, the vulnerability, your sinfulness. And when you realize that, you come to realize where God is. And he's with you. That's the good news. You really are a bunch of wretched sinners. Good news. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that in the silence of this moment we can see who we are. It's kind of messy. But in that wound, in the cracks, the light shines through. Your light, Lord Jesus. So we give thee thanks. In thy name. Amen.